Hi everyone, you're listening to the third episode of FTW for the Women podcast. I'm your host, Quan Luo. In this episode, I interviewed Lydia White. Lydia leads design teams at Condé Nast, teaches at Parsons, and is also the founder and program director of Shellhouse Arts, an organization dedicated to supporting artists, designers, and writers through programs that help facilitate and deepen creative practices. We talked about her six months long sabbatical around the world, her move across the country from the Bay Area to New York, starting her own art residency program, and the surprising problems of owning a house that's shaped like an eggshell. So where did you grow up? I grew up um, about 45 minutes outside of San Francisco in Sonoma County. I moved to San Francisco when I graduated high school, so I was just about to turn 18. And then I was there until 2010 when I moved to New York, which is where I am based now. Wow, so you spent a lot of time in the Bay Area. Yes, definitely. Very beautiful, and it's been challenging to watch the news in the past couple of years of California and all of these fires. Yeah, totally. Was it very different when you were growing up? Um, I think, I mean, in terms of the climate, there was a lot of rains and El Nino floods, and that has been different. And then I think just the culture of San Francisco and the Bay Area has changed a lot with tech and many people moving into the city. Mm-hmm. My mom is a nurse. She worked at Marin General for, I think, 30 some odd years and then um, went to grad school and started working for the VA in San Francisco. And my dad is a painter and he worked at a laser factory in Santa Rosa preparing artworks for the laser, the lasers and the production of paper, wood, laser etchings. Did you grow up doing a lot of art um, related things because of your father? Um, yes and no. My mom was also into quilting. So I used to make a bunch of clothes when I was a kid. Um, I, I don't know, for some reason, I don't remember really doing much, much drawing or painting. Um, and I'm not sure why that is because as I've gotten older, <laughs> I've come to regret that I, I don't have more of that <laughs> skill set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think like when I was a teenager is when I, I started exploring my creative side and that was through the internet and through making websites and through photography and other mediums. Yeah. Tell me more about that. How did you get into the internet and the photography? I think it's a, a common story of uh, GeoCities and Netscape, Netscape Navigator and just a curiosity about how the internet worked and how everyday people could, you know, make their own mark on on that. And it was really just like this freeform canvas and very easy to teach yourself. So I, I played around with that. I had access to Photoshop and Corel Draw and a lot of early um, desktop publishing or illustration software because of my dad's work. So that was, you know, a huge privilege and definitely formative and just being comfortable working with computers and, mm. and digital tools. And I just, uh, I guess when I was like 13 is when I started frequently 
publishing websites of various kinds, and I never stopped. <laughs> Are you still doing that? These days, I only indirectly in the sense that I'm like leading teams that do that, mm-hmm. or I'm you know creating sites to promote things like uh, the Shell House Arts Residency. But I'm not really you know building personal sites and experimenting in the way I, I was. Um, which is perhaps a shame, but it's not necessarily uh, like the most impactful thing I could be doing. When you were younger, when you were doing all those creative projects, what was the most motivating factor? I don't know if I was thinking about it in those terms. I think I just liked to learn new technology and experiment, and and through creating websites, I discovered communities of graphic designers and other people like experimenting in that way and um, wanting to learn more about that then I started collecting like art school catalogs and um, paper sample catalogs and all of the sort of ephemera of I guess traditional graphic design and, and kind of using that to inform the things that I was creating online. That's so cool and did you go to art school for college? I did not I went to I wanted to, but I, it seemed out of reach financially, and it's probably a good thing I didn't go because I was lucky to not have any student debt. Um, I went to San Francisco State University, and I studied communication arts, so a combination of photography, marketing, and a little bit of graphic design. And what did you do after you graduated? Well, while I was in school, I was working three days a week for a digital agency called AKQA. And so I was very lucky to have that opportunity. And I started out as kind of a production artist, junior developer, and I was coding flash banners and putting together pitch decks and um, helping out with internal processes. And so after I graduated, I sort of had to make a decision. Did I want to continue doing development work or did I want to, you know, shift into design and if I continued doing development work, I would get a promotion and a higher salary. But if I shifted into design, I would have to um, take a pay cut and kind of like start from scratch. But given that I was like 22 years old, it seemed like that was what I wanted to do with my life. So I took a associate design position there, or I interviewed and accepted an associate design position there. And then I was working on pretty cool projects for Target and Xbox and, you know, these big name clients. Um, But it felt like very slow and I felt sort of stifled by these brand guidelines, like in Mm -hmm. particular working on Target, which is, uh, you know, white and gray and Helvetica and some red. So I I had been at AKQA for five years after, um, after I had made this transition and I ended up leaving and going to this sort of design studio startup run by a French woman who was interested in design for social good. And I ended up working there for a couple of years, which was interesting in that, like, because it was so small, I was wearing a lot of hats. I was doing everything from, like, the coding of sites to the art direction and design and you know, working directly with small clients, but it also like wasn't necessarily the best learning experience because I didn't have 
that many people to learn from or examples of like where I wanted to grow. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to go into the whole long story. Yeah, please. (laughs) So I ended up taking a break. I recognized I was 24. I recognized I was at a point in my life where I like rented a room in San Francisco, which at the time was $750. (laughs) And uh, I didn't really have I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't have um, anything really tying me down. So I saved up $10,000 and I ended up traveling for um, five or six months. And I went to Africa, I went to Southeast Asia, uh, and then I drove across the country. And in most of it, I was actually by myself and it was just, just really awesome experience. And then I came back to San Francisco and it was just kind of like the same old, same old. I didn't really feel like I was growing, um, so I started making a plan to move to New York. I had one of my best friends live there, and it's I just like wanted to go and be in a big city, I think, and I knew that there was obviously like more of a kind of a cultural scene and art scene and a little bit more diversity in mm-hmm. terms of the industries that are here, yeah, so it seemed like an easy place to go with also a lot of opportunity for growth. Before you you move to New York, I want to know more about the six months break. Um, So you saved up $10,000. And did you know you had a plan? How long have you been planning that? Or you just went on a whim and bought a flight? No, I I planned it for probably at least six months. I didn't make that much money at the time. So it was a lot of planning went into saving and um, and then like buying the right gear so that I could live out of a backpack for a long period of time. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, you know, went on Google journeys and like mm-hmm. found places that I was interested in, in going and then would sort of make like a rough list of places I wanted to go. For Africa, it was a friend, one of my good friends who was an Australian had said, hey, I'm going to be in South Africa for this wedding it's right around the time that you want to take this big trip. Do you want to meet us there? And then we can go on a one month overland tour around Southern Africa. I was like, yes, great. (laughs) I want to do this. So that was a very organized tour. And we were in this like big truck with 10 other people from all over the world. And it would drive, we would drive around and then camp every night and then go to all these different places. And then from South Africa, I flew to Bangkok and I had less of an idea of what my plans were then. I, I didn't necessarily book anything in advance. I just kind of go to a place and then like find a find a place to stay for a night or two and then kind of plan my journey from there. And how long did you stay in Asia? I was there for four months, I think, doing a lot of hopping around. I think I, <laughs> it was, I had FOMO. I didn't want to miss anything. Um, so I wouldn't really stay in a place very long, which is good, but also sort of stressful. It's kind of nice to stay in a place for a few days and and get a better sense of what life is like. And if I were to ask you your most memorable moment of that whole trip, what would it be? I guess one thing that comes to mind, which I am probably remembering because I took photos and I look at them frequently, but I was in Java, Indonesia, and they... You know, they have all of these incredible volcanoes and active craters. And I'm, I'm interested, as a photographer, I was interested in sort of these 
weird otherworldly geological landforms. And so I went to this place, what is it called? I think it's called Mount Bromo. And they have these sunrise tours. Um, of course, I was on a budget. So my budget was like $20, $25 a day. So I couldn't afford the sunrise Jeep tour. But I heard that you could hike up to the side of the mountain, with, which is what the locals usually do when they're going to see the sunrise. So I got up with a group of people at like three in the morning with flashlights and went on this hike up to up this volcano. And, and you're in a volcano that's in the middle of a crater. And from that viewpoint, you can look down into the other volcano's crater, which is smoking. And um, there's another volcano, like right next to it, that you have this incredible view of. Mm. And it was just you know, just absolutely stunning watching the sunrise there and being surrounded by all these Indonesians and they're handing out flowers and there's horses and um, in the crater, there's this beautiful temple. So that was probably one of the more magical places I went to. And so after your four month in Asia, you came back to San Francisco. Yes, I came back. I ended up dating someone and I wanted to see where the relationship would go. So I didn't leave when I was expecting to leave. And it turns out that we stayed together long distance for three years, New York to San Francisco, and now we're married. So I think that was the right decision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but eventually I, I eventually, I was like, all right, I'm out of here. And I hope we can continue this relationship. But I need to, you know, stick with this plan. And then I moved to New York and I moved kind of without a plan. I had a couple of thousand dollars and I had my friend who lived here um, and I just figured I would work it out, which I did. However, it took me, I think it took me like two years to really feel settled and, and find my groove with things. Mm. Um, you know, I got apartment in Williamsburg and I adopted two cats and I like made a cozy nest, but I, I think I underestimated how difficult it would be to kind of like find a job without a network and, and without mm. um, having spent like the last three years working at this small studio and not having like brand name projects in my portfolio. Mm. Um, and then I, um, so I was just freelancing and eventually I ended up finding a studio, uh, a digital agency that I really liked, and I worked with them for a couple of years. And how did you um, kind of compare the freelance agency life versus working for small studios? I was typically doing longer term engagements, so I would go into the office for a few months and work on projects, or um, so it almost felt like a day job in a sense, but it was usually not like projects I would be super excited about working on. Mm. Um, so I don't know if it was like a typical freelance experience or it wasn't like I was working from my own studio and kind of having control over what I was working on as much. Mm. And you knew you wanted to find a job um, in the, another studio. Yeah, I am not. I don't think I work well from home. 
I'm too distracted. I get Mm -hmm. too distracted with like cleaning and my animals and Mm -hmm. other projects. So I knew that I wanted to work in-house at a company and I knew that I wanted to work for a small to medium-sized agency that was doing work that I really admired and and that I could learn from. I ended up working for an agency called Kettle because they launched a new site for new museum, I think it was, and I really liked it. And I so I just sent them a cold email and I was like, hey, this is incredible. I really like the site. I want to do work like this. Here's my portfolio. Let's work together. And then I ended up coming in for like a trial and then they hired me. And what happened after? I worked there for two years and got um, got experience working on websites like I did Brooklyn Bridge Park and I worked on some other brand campaigns. And then after two years, I ended up getting an opportunity to work for Tumblr, which was kind of this amazing confluence of all my interests and photography. And I, I had a Tumblr, which was reasonably popular. So I joined as a product designer and um, was working on content creation and um, various features. And then after about a year there, we had um, our creative director left and I ended up being promoted to lead the product design team. So that's when I started getting more experience in management and kind of directing this functional area within a larger organization. And I found that I really enjoyed doing that kind of work. So comparing to doing work yourself versus leading a team to do the work. What do you like about managing? I think this has just been the the big shift for me in the past few years in general. After Tumblr, I left and I joined this startup called Beam. And, and so I was kind of back to doing a lot more individual contributor work, but also hiring and directing and like working with other people at the same time. Uh, and that was that was great. But when Beam was shut down, I I kind of had to make a decision if I wanted to do, I felt like I wanted to continue doing both um, and finding that role in a a company that wasn't just like an early startup was was sort of hard. And the position that I ended up taking after, you know, Beam was shut down and I had this kind of like year of choosing a new path was... A design director job at Condé Nast and now I am purely managing a team and directing product design and this organization and I, I feel really good about it actually I'm, I feel like I'm happy to pass the baton and mm. it's really rewarding to create the situations and circumstances for other people to be successful and, and do their work well and I've yeah, I feel like I had many years designing and I can still do that as part of my personal projects. So it feels good. How big is your team now at Cunning Nest? We are 16 um, and that includes myself and another design director and product designers and product design leads. Is it the biggest team you've ever managed? Yeah, definitely. Tumblr was fairly small considering our, our scope. But now, you know, we have 16, our design team of 16 is also working uh, across, you know, 22 different brands and magazines and uh, really like a a much more complex scope of work. I think Mm -hmm. like there's been a lot of, even in the three months that I've been there, there has been tremendous change in the company and organization. And I, I think 
that's a constant. So I don't know how settled necessarily people people are. I think it's mm. the, the kind of place you go where you're going to be learning and, and open to change and kind mm. of going with the flow. But it, it's tough. I mean, it's, you know, like display ads, uh, revenue mm-hmm. continues to fall. And, and this has been like an issue everywhere I've worked. So I think like the entire industry is scrambling for ways to close that gap. And right now that is subscriptions and memberships. But I think there's going to be consumer fatigue when they need to sign up for about 20 different things. So we're just experimenting and kind of coming up with new ways to provide value for people. Yeah. Is there, do you see design as a possibility to initiate a lot of that project and use user user research to inspire a new way of thinking about value? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's been a lot of support for that and um, just, you know, uncovering like what it is that the audience wants that we can provide to them. Like what is, what can we create on our platform that, you know, not just one brand can use, but multiple brands can use and then like quickly deploy and iterate on. Um, So that's definitely what we're focused on. So the next thing I wanted to ask you about is photography. Have you thought about pursuing photography as full-time or as as full-time as you define it? I did. So I actually just wrote an essay for this newsletter called Desk Lunch, where I was talking about a lot of this stuff. And it's been kind of interesting to think back on my own journey and, and how all of it sort of like... I don't know, like weirdly paves the way for where I am now and, and in a way that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate. So I studied photography in school. In high school, I worked for a photographer named Murray Rockowitz as an assistant office manager. And I it's always something I have loved doing. And after, I guess, after I moved to New York while I was freelancing, that was the time period when I started considering it as a career switch going full-time and I was participating in in various workshops and classes and I went to an artist residency in Berlin and developing my portfolio on the side while I was also freelancing as an interactive designer Um, but I think like it's just the circumstances of living in New York I had to pay rent I never really like was in a position to I never felt like I was in a position at least to do that. And um, I also like, I felt okay about that because I liked having something that was just a hobby and not necessarily like my means of, you know, making a living. So Mm -hmm. um, I think that was, that was the decision. And um, over time I've taken less and less photos. I kind of feel like, there's no point there's no point like unless it's something that's conceptual or planned or mm-hmm. adding something new to the conversation like there's just so many photos and I haven't been like sharing serious work as much during like that period of time was, was when I was on Tumblr a lot so mm-hmm. there was a whole community of people like really posting and talking to each other and, and that was um, something that felt like unique to that time period and I don't know like where that conversation is happening now I think it's happening on Instagram but it feels different it feels like influencers and personal brand driven instead of like a group of 
curious people kind of learning from each other. Mm. So the next thing I want to ask you about is Xiao House Arts. Uh, that's how I kind of find out about who you are at the very first place, how it came to be, and the Xiao House at first, and now and then the Xiao House residency, and what your plans are for the project. Talking to you and speaking with you from the Shell House right now, and it's a little cold outside, but still nice. So my, when I was working at Tumblr, a colleague of mine sent me a link, sort of as a joke, like, "Hey, check out this weird-looking house upstate," and it looked like, uh, like an egg kind of cut in half and then like placed on the ground with a wall of windows and this just like very cool like half dome structure and I was like oh my god this is amazing and my husband and I went and we toured and we actually like went to I think three other cabins in the area that were in the same price range and we we got here and we were just like fell in love with it so um, we ended up buying the house and we bought it from the widow of the architect. He was kind of an academic and he taught architecture somewhere in, in New York. And this was the only structure he completed as far as I know. And it was meant to be a case study house, but he never built anymore. And unfortunately he passed away in 2007. So his wife had been taking care of it, but she was getting older and, and kind of didn't want to be maintaining it anymore. Uh, as we've come to find out, there are lots of unique dome problems mm-hmm. <laughs> that come along with, with this house. But we we took it on and um, at first we started renting it out a little bit just to kind of close the gap on our finances. But we had a bad experience with that. We had some Airbnb guests who kind of destroyed the place and stole a bunch of stuff. And then I had just this long standing dream of wanting to create my own residency or create some sort of arts program or crit group. And I now felt like I had the perfect place to kind of do this. So I drawing on my experience producing events for different parties and also in college I helped run a record label called Dinner Party Records and through tons of events all over the city so I have like a lot of I really like throwing events I really like organizing people organizing communities I like being involved in kind of culture and arts and music scenes and so I wanted to share this amazing place that I had and and open it up to other creative people that could kind of be inspired by it and create works within it. And so I launched the residency. And the summer session was the first session and we had six artists. They were all primarily visual artists and working in a variety of different mediums. And they stayed here for two weeks and produced a bunch of work and got to know each other. And I I took them around to some of the galleries and the Catskills and we had uh, a critique on midway through the session and it was just really really nice so I think there was a lot of things I learned from that first session and I'm now today actually is the last day for applications for the winter session I'm just going to continue like learning and evolving as time goes on and and hopefully extending it as well and hopefully like 
doing events in the city and, and giving artists ways to exhibit their work and the things that they're creating while they're here. So how many people, um, you said you accepted six, how many applicants were there for the summer session? I, I had 75 applicants. Which... And how do you narrow down to six? <laughs> I had my friends, um, Joe and Leah, who are extremely talented architects and designers and artists within their own rights. They helped me. Um, I, I did like an initial pass and narrowed it down to like, I think 35 people. And mm-hmm. then they helped me select 10 people. And then I did video interviews with those 10 people and then selected six, which mm. included also one couple partner duo. Mm. What is one lesson that you've learned? You said you learned a lot from organizing the first summer ones. I, I wanted to balance, you know, having free time and also a little bit of structure. So having um, like the first weekend, we went to galleries in the area and the second weekend we had the guest critic come by and the third weekend we went to the Wazaic project which is this like incredible arts community upstate um but I think like given that it was only two weeks there was too much structured activity and not enough time for people to create so they were a little bit like stressed out and kind of scrambling to fit things in within that time period uh, especially because it was also raining for most of the time. So they didn't have outdoor space to work with. And I had selected a group of people that were all kind of working on things at scale. And in the house, there like there's no studios, right? There's just bedrooms. So there wasn't really room for people to spread out given that it was raining. And um, I think like maybe just a balance of residents that have like some people that could be working at scale and some people maybe that are doing smaller things so that they're not kind of overlapping and stepping on each other's toes would be good yeah any other modifications or changes you would do for the winter session coming up yeah so the winter is explicitly more about internal internalizing thinking writing planning learning and, and, and kind of like all of the mental work that goes into creative work. So um, it's less about like the the making and the producing mm. of things and more about like how, you know, just that time that you need as a creative person to kind of like synthesize your ideas and maybe people who are doing creative work, but mostly like computer things or smaller things. It's going to be very cold. So people are going to be in their rooms and, mm-hmm. um, I want it to be more about reflecting. What are uh, some dome problems? That was really interesting. Uh, dome problems. <laughs> oh, God. So the structure itself is basically like the way it was constructed was they made this huge canvas bubble and they pump it full of air. And then it's kind of like um, a paper mache mask. They just spray the inside of the bubble with, shotcrete and then they kind of wrapped uh, a layer of rebar um inside and then like sprayed a whole bunch more like polyurethane and and shotcrete until you have this you know foot long foot deep shell that's extremely strong and that then is the structure um but there's just weird issues with the the base of it so it's like drainage issues and like the foam you know 
if the foam gets water in it, then there's issues. And mm. um, our heating system broke partially because of those nightmare Airbnb guests I told you about. Oh, yeah. So that was like a huge undertaking and, and trying to plan like how, how do you get airflow working in this like very odd structure um, was sort of a puzzling thing for us as well as every single contractor who came to the space and was mm. like, huh, <laughs> what is this place? Um, so fi- also like finding contractors in a rural area was very difficult. Mm. Um, we did a kitchen renovation, which we finally finished and it looks beautiful, but it took us over two years. Wow. Um, to make it happen. One thing that you said that was really resonated with me was also about the winter. Any like self-care rituals that you do on a routinely basis to kind of keep yourself going and learning? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably not my my strong suit. Um, I So I started at Cardi Nast three months ago, and then I also started the same week, I started teaching at Parsons. So the last three months have been kind of insane for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I basically like lost my uh, fitness and health routine and um, haven't really been taking care of myself super well. So I would say like, the, I mean, just coming here, being in the space and chilling out and limiting my social engagements has been the main thing but um I hope to get back into having like a exercise routine and and taking better care of myself through what I eat after this period is over Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I just want to keep doing what I'm doing it's just been such a tremendous period of change for me and also just all of these new learning experiences leading a larger team and being um you know, involved at a higher level in this large organization and teaching, I feel like (laughs) it's just been, you know, mind expanding and exciting. And I kind of just want to like take some time to process that and write about that and continue learning from that and and doing better. Yeah, cool. Um, Any parting kind of lesson or advice uh, given to other women or individuals who are kind of taking on new challenges and having many, many parallel lives like teaching and designing? Yeah. After being laid off from Beam, I had this period of time where I was um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do next and interviewing and having a really terrible time interviewing because I just, I would shut down. I would just be so afraid of of what people would think of me that I I, I felt like I like couldn't be myself and so then I wasn't able to articulate my skills and I wasn't able to like articulate like why I would be a good fit for a particular job or role because I was like getting rejected from jobs that I was way overqualified for and um, I read this book by Tara Moore it was called like for women who want to step up and lead or something like that Mm. and one of the things that really resonated with me about this book was this concept of fear and it's this borrowed from this Hebrew concept of fear and she talks about how there's in Hebrew there's two there's multiple words for fear and because you have different words for fear there's also like they have different meanings and it kind of like 
by just like creating a new word for something, then it like has more meaning and then you can like understand it better. So the way that they describe fear is as fashad, which is the fear of kind of projected or imagined things like similar to how I was feeling like, oh no, like I don't want them to dislike me or like, oh, I'm like walking down a dark street at night. Like I'm afraid something's going to happen. Like just the classic fear. And then the second type of fear is yura, which is like, I'm probably pronouncing it horribly wrong, but this sort of like, you know, fear of God, but not in a bad way, like just in this like awe-inspiring way, like kind of like Mm. if you're looking at the night sky and the desert and you see like the the whole starry sky and you kind of feel like your your sense of scale in the universe and it's like awe-inspiring and that that as like this different sort of of fear and like taking that concept and being able to lead into it lean into it or like let it guide you towards taking bigger steps in your life was really powerful and I and I thought about that a lot of times like with different things I had done like the traveling or or moving to New York and and how it sort of connected to that idea and so when I eventually like had job offers in front of me I, I was able to connect to that sense of view I was like well this this one like makes a lot of sense in terms of my story and also kind of scares me the most so it's probably the right direction to go in mm, it's so true to be able to just think about the same word differently and give you brand new perspectives yeah That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Lydia and her residency program, visit lydiawhite.info and shellhousearts.org. Before you go, a brief announcement that a podcast will be put on hiatus as I focus on building a new company in the coming month. The company is called Alpha. It's the place for women in tech to talk handily online. To learn more, visit alpha.com. See you soon.